0: It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 68 of the Global Geek News Podcast, and as always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley?
1: Things are going well. Um, They're not goo-goo dolls fantastic, but things are awesome.
0: Yeah, that was, for those that don't know, that's why there was no show on Tuesday morning like usual, that it's getting released on Thursday morning, is because Monday night I went to the Goo Dolls concert in Colorado Springs and I think that's like my fourth time seeing them and I think that was probably their best performance yet and the opening act was pretty good too, a band called Vadera, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Oh no, never heard of them I, I think they're brand new, they have just come out with their first album, they're good but it takes a little while to kind of learn the difference between some of the songs because at first they all kind of sound the same but, otherwise, they're pretty good. But, just found out earlier this afternoon, before the power went out, thanks to our large storm, that they're going to be in Denver, or, well, Red, at Red Rocks, I guess that's technically in Morrison, Colorado, in August, I believe, so that'll make make it as to where I get to see them twice in one year, which is great. Oh, cool. Yeah, Any band that I can see more than twice in one year makes me happy. And that, and seeing them a fifth time will make them the band that i've seen more than any other band. So,
1: yeah, i'm not much of a concert guy. I I'm, I'm more of a conventions guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, i go to way too many concerts or at least so i'm told.
1: Hey, and, spend money on what you love.
0: Yeah, and i've got oh, i don't know, probably in the next couple of weeks i've got like 3 concerts, i think. Let's see, there's a great big country concert that's like got like a dozen acts and an all day thing. Um there's a jewel concert coming up and I'm thinking I'm gonna go see Carrie Underwood, but I haven't decided on that one yet. Yeah, I I, I go to quite a few concerts, but anyway, that's why there was no show earlier in the week. But how how's how are things down in Texas?
1: Um Good. it's starting to really get hot uh, but that's not so bad uh, still um, still dealing with some post launch woes with some fusion products um, the thing is I'm not sure I have to check it today but I don't think so but so we released the new products and you mentioned that they weren't talked about during the launch mm-hmm. and a big part of that is the website has not been updated so uh, still dealing with uh, trying to get that collateral up on the web
0: Oh, I see, yeah, it seems like every once in a while, I don't know if it's their website they don't update it often enough or what, but like when I go to look for drivers and stuff, things tend not to work sometimes.
1: uh our web team is uh is very small and they support the whole company, so um that's why during the launch, it was more emphasized on getting the front door updated rather than the the child sites from the parent so that's what we're doing now
0: well that makes sense well anyway we've got a um full bunch of stories which everybody can follow along with at globalgeeknews.com and okay i just lost my train of thought oh and there's other things going on there um i have at least one new blog post of the past couple of weeks so i guess that's progress but hopefully that'll start to pick up a little bit more. I, now that I'm getting towards the end of my quarter at school, hopefully things will ease up a little bit. But anyway, that's where you can find all of that. And of course, we will mention a number of other things that happen at globalgeeknews.com at the end of the show, like merchandise and stuff like that. Anyway, we can get right into our first stories as soon as I open up all the stories, which I totally forgot to do. Um, first story being Comcast is looking to offer an extreme 105 megabit connection starting in June, supposedly.
1: Yeah, this sounds pretty good, as in the upload speed, but the, i uh, sorry, the download speed, but the upload speed is still only 10 megabits. Um,
0: yeah, I thought that was kind of pathetic. I figured it, we would, something like that, I would like to see at least 20.
1: Yeah. And I'm guessing a lot of people are going to be mad at that because 100 megabits is really – you're not going to see that big of a performance unless you're doing simultaneous downloads or usage of the internet, like a lot of people sharing the bandwidth. If you're one person on 100 megabits, uh, you're not going to see that much fast response time unless the server on the other end you're talking to is fast. So… it, it sounds really good, um, but it's one of those things where you never really know if you're getting your 105. And I don't think they're going to give you a facilitate, uh, facility to check to make sure that you're getting the bandwidth that you're paying for.
0: Yeah, usually I just um, use Speakeasy's speed test to determine what kind of bandwidth I have at any given time, which is like net slash speed test or something like yes,
1: that. Yes, but that's Burst. Um, yeah. A lot of cable companies are accounting for bursts, and they'll burst you uh, up to your max, but then throttle down after that. Um, so that the, so small transfers are, seem to go really fast. But if you're talking about sustained, y- usually that's not terribly accurate.
0: You know, it seems like ever since I went to the Doxus 3 and got my own DOCSIS 3 modem and stuff on Comcast, whenever I've done a test... I'm getting more of the actual speeds rather than the burst speeds. I don't know if if that is a DOCSIS 3 thing or if when it comes to the bandwidth tests they're actually doing something to show you your actual speed rather than the burst speeds or exactly how that works. The only time I ever really notice a burst is when I'm uploading the show for the first minute or so. It'll burst up to over 300k a second. And then it'll slowly throttle itself back. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Still decent speeds, but that's about the only time I really noticed a a burst anymore. What about BitTorrent? BitTorrent, uh, I can max out any time, just about. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, I'm on Time Warner, and
1: uh, yeah, I need to call them. (laughs) Make sure I'm getting what I pay for.
0: Yeah, the only issue I have when it comes to BitTorrent is if I'm downloading a bunch of stuff at the same time that has a lot of seeds, If I'm and I have, like say, 50 connections going per torrent, my router doesn't handle that too well. It'll peg the processor and the router, and then everything kind of slows down a bit. But that's the only real issue I have. But with this 105 megabit, which would be nice... I, but I really don't have to buy an AERIS WBM760 modem, especially when I've never even heard of AERIS before.
1: Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's that specific model because they're doing some sort of controls to make sure people don't hack into it uh, and remove caps or or uh, tinker with it at all. And plus you have to buy that, which is, what, 250 bucks for installation after you get the modem. So I wonder what they're actually doing if you're buying the modem, that means they're not installing it. Um, are they running new cables or uh, better copper? I wonder what. Uh, I wonder how they're
0: doing that. What justifies the 250? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not real sure that. That's why whenever I have the chance, whether it's for cable or whatever, I prefer to wire everything up and stuff myself because I have no desire to pay somebody 100 bucks an hour or whatever to come out and hook stuff up. Yeah. What do you think about the two hundred a month? you think that's reasonable? I think that seems a bit excessive if you compare it to like a Fios or something like that. Mm. Yes. Uh, I don't know I'm kinda curious to see what the price is going to be when Google rolls out their gigabit fiber. I think that'll be the real benchmark in terms of where things should be as far as price goes. yeah, that's
1: one thing that's not clear exactly where this is rolling out is this over the whole entire uh, Comcast network, which anyone can get that, which uh, the Google Fiber—that's only going to be one city, right?
0: I think it's a a series of like five cities or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, the whole who's getting this is one of the issues. I don't know it, the way that I've heard it from a couple of places is that it runs on the Doxus three. Service, which I think most areas have been updated to by now, so I'm guessing anywhere that has had the upgrades to support the DOCSIS 3 format is going to be able to get this service. Yeah. Now, if those areas are able to afford this kind of service, that's another question entirely.
1: Yeah, this could be just the top tier that that they expect. You know, very little attachment, Um, which would really suck. Is um, since uh, Comcast have since cable is on a node model. Uh, if they get a whole neighborhood who wants this, that, that's going to cause a problem.
0: Yeah, it's going to be... What I'm really worried about is 105 megabits and you still have the 250 gigabyte cap. Oh! If I got rid of the cap, that might be worth springing for the $200 a month if I could afford it.
1: Yeah, good point. But I,
0: yeah, with those kind of speeds and that cap, I could blow through the cap in a day.
1: Yeah, that's that's totally true. It's so totally true.
0: Yeah, if I'm really pushing it, I can do 50 gigabytes in a day, as it is, and and that's on what a 12 megabit per second connection. So
1: yeah,
0: yeah, I as long as they have that cap for at for any tier, it I see no purpose in spending that kind of money because I'm just gonna end up running into that cap.
1: Yeah, especially if you're streaming content like uh, large, high-def quality movies. That would be something that you would definitely run into that cap early.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's one of my many reasons behind torrenting and stuff, is that there's a lot of movies and stuff that I may, or TV shows that I may want to watch more than once. I don't want it going against my cap every time... I want to watch an episode of a TV show because it's my favorite episode or whatever. I just want to download it once, watch it as many times as I want, and never have it have any future issue with my bandwidth usage. Mm-hmm. So that's totally understand. Yeah, but speaking of streaming movies and such, apparently Time Warner Time Warner Cable is pitching some major Hollywood studios on a new idea that would. Allow for home theater on demand. Essentially, you'd be able to get movies that are in movie theaters streamed to your home for twenty to thirty bucks for within thirty days after it's released in the movie theaters.
1: Yeah, and I, I actually think this is a really good idea. Even st- even the article is pitching this as you know this is stupid. How who's going to do that? Um, I think more choice as long as it doesn't remove options is totally fine.
0: Yeah, it 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 seems a little pricey for me. I mean, if you're going to if you're like a family of 5 or whatever, this is certainly cheaper than going to a movie. Right. But at the same time, it's going to really exclude you from a lot of 3D movies because nobody has a 3D TV. True, and but
1: but think of pay-per-view now. Some pay-per-view like boxing matches run up in this range and and far surpass this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Once it kind of started getting above this, that's when I stopped ordering wrestling pay-per-views. Yeah. But some
1: people, for some strange reason, will pay for it. And and it might be an option for, um, think about the homebound, like people who are, um, that, that can't leave their house or they have some sort of disability or, or, um, that, that they need, uh, a lot of preparation to go somewhere. Um, it's, it's 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 a viable solution and you don't have to pay as i said it's another solution if you think it's outrageous then you don't have to pay for it but it's still an option just in case if you can call a movie an emergency you have the option to do it
0: yeah i'm kind of curious to see if any of the movie studios are going to go for this because while this might be good for them to an extent it's going to definitely hurt movie theaters and movie theater owners and stuff because usually Mm -hmm. from my understanding is that anytime a movie lasts more than a month that's kind of the month period is kind of the cutoff point as to where any profits after that go to the movie theater or at least a majority of them go to the movie theater compared to before that where pretty much all of them go straight to the movie production company.
1: Yeah, this is definitely going to hurt movie theaters because if they do opt, if if a, if a consumer does opt in to pay the thirty dollars for a movie, there's no way they're going to see it again in the theater. Um, and speaking of which, they sh- if someone does, if I spent thirty dollars on a movie, I want to be able to watch that movie over and over again. Maybe not like the whole month afterwards, but at least the for a couple of days. That thirty day that thirty dollar rental should should not be for one viewing.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious to know how that would work. If it's like a you order it, you have to sit down now and watch it kind of thing. Or if it's like a rental on the PlayStation Network where you have, I think it's two weeks to watch a movie that you've rented.
1: Right, but that's watch it after it's been ordered, but not necessarily watch it over and over again
0: necessarily. Yeah, Uh, and even then, I think like on the PlayStation Network, I think you can watch it over and over again but you only have access to watch it for 24 hours after you begin streaming the movie. I think that's how that works. It's, mm. it's been a couple of years since I've um, tried the rental service on there, and I, have, I don't have access to the PlayStation network because I haven't upgraded my firmware to get rid of Linux yet, so yeah. I can't check that for sure.
1: Yeah, that's one thing that the cable companies need to know, is that when people pay a premium price, they don't just want early access, they want close to white glove service. They want to make sure that they're taken care of. And that might be, and, and and so they have to keep that in account when they roll this out. It has to be not just early access. It has to be, uh, there has to be some sort of incentive to do it on top of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, this certainly wouldn't be anything I'd ever want to do. If I'm paying 30 bucks for a movie, I want the Blu-ray version so I can watch it over and over again for as long as I live. Mm-hmm. Or at least until the format changes, whatever, whichever happens first. But yeah. speaking of things that people are likely to pay for, apparently 7% of U.S. consumers are very likely to buy an iPad, with another 13% being somewhat likely. Yeah, this is, these are very interesting numbers. Of course, this is
1: a, a sample. But uh, I think this is kind of the virus effect. People are, the, the, the last time we saw numbers like this, this was before the iPad was actually uh, available in stores. Now they're in Best Buy, you can play with them. They're in Apple stores, you can play with them. And people have friends that have them. So I think it's kind of the virus effect that people are seeing their friends have one and, and a little Envy shows up and they, they, they say, you know, I think I do want one of those.
0: Yeah, I went to go play with one at Best Buy the other night and they didn't have one so I ended up playing with a Nook which is actually better than i was expecting I and mean, from i would assume that all the firmware updates that they've done seems to have made a big difference but i'm i don't know if i would give up my kindle for it just because the nook is a fair bit thicker and i would and i like the thin feeling of the kindle but it's definitely a nice little alternative from what i can see
1: yeah I, I, so i play with one too, and my reservation is that it's too small or too large. It's, it's not just right. For instance, it's too small to sit on a desk and me stand up and look at it. So I don't have to hold it, mm-hmm. but it's too large for me to pick it up and hold it in a comfortable way away from my face. It's kind of in that middle area that I have to hold it, which is not very comfortable. I can't, if, if it's a phone, I can hold a phone close to my face and, it, it's a comfortable holding position. Uh, if it's a if it's a computer monitor or, or uh, a laptop screen, I can put that on the desk and be fairly away from it and still use it. But this device, to me, it was in that weird nowhere zone you know, that
0: that made it kind of awkward for me. Yeah, it took me a little while to get used to how I hold my Kindle. I for the longest time I would only use it when I had my Kindle cover attached to it because it gave it a little bit more heft and it made it a little bit thicker which I thought at the time was felt the best for holding it but anymore I prefer just the Kindle itself and I've gotten to where I've figured out what the most comfortable way is to hold it no matter what position I'm in but with something like the iPad I'm not sure how easy that would be to figure out because it's kind of in that Real awkward size, where I'm not, yeah. and with it being a whole lot heavier, I'm not sure it's something that I would feel comfortable using all the time.
1: Yeah, don't but, get me wrong. I, I think it's a it's a fine device. After playing with it, it, it was snappy, but mm-hmm. um, this is not something I would use long term. Not mean not not meaning that it's a throwaway device. Meaning that I wouldn't use it for long stretches of time. Maybe to play a game or something like that, but um, I couldn't see it to surf the web. Um, For me personally, if I was to buy a device like this, it would be for home automation. It would be, this is my command center console for my house. Something like that.
0: Yeah, I I would like to start doing some home automation stuff, but I don't necessarily want something like this. I want it all voice commands. Mm-hmm. I want all voice recognition stuff so I can tell it to open the blinds and it'll open the blinds and stuff like that. But, yeah, it, the big thing for me would probably be the lack of flash. Mm-hmm. I, there's a considerable amount of my web browsing that I do going to like music artist sites, checking for where they're having concerts next and stuff. Like, kind of with my concert addiction that I mentioned earlier, and nearly every single music artist site that I can think of all uses Flash very heavily. Yeah. So for me, that would be a almost a deal-breaker, but at the same time, I still want an iPad. I just want to wait till the second gen comes out so they can maybe get a camera in there work out some of the bugs as far as like the overheating issues and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, the Dell Streak is looking extremely attractive to me.
0: Yeah, I I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what HP is going to come out with in terms of a webOS based mm-hmm. slate PC. That that's really what yeah. I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I think the Streak for me
1: like I've actually held it and uh, it's very comfortable. It's very snappy, um, and depending on what the price point is, uh, it, it it might be my next next device.
0: Hmm. Yeah, my next device is gonna be a GPS, some kind of a GPS device, because my dash has finally decided to give up on me.
1: The Dell Streak does that.
0: Yeah. Might have to look into that one too. It, does it? Give you, like, live traffic information and stuff, too?
1: Android 2.2. Hmm. 2. So, uh,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what I'll be looking into later on tonight. <laughs> That's right. How much does it run? It, not announced. But it's supposed to go on sale this month.
1: Uh, next month, ah. sorry. Mm. In Europe first, and then to the U.S. later on.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, anyway, back to the this story. We're kind of... What surprised me is how many people seem to be reading newspapers and magazines on their iPad compared to other e-readers. Yeah. I, I, I've, I, that really surprised me. And I can understand magazines, but newspapers and stuff, I can see them to an extent. But I still enjoy the way the, the Kindle does newspapers.
1: Yeah, but it's not in stores. You can't use a Kindle in a store. Yeah. You have to order it online or have a friend that has it. And that's what is Apple's greatest advantage is that you can use it. And there, there are commercials. I mean, there are currently Kindle commercials, but that's more like, hey, you can read books on it. It's less about this is what it looks like and this is how you use it. Um, that's That's what I was saying when the iPad came out. You need to have a commercial saying this is what it does and this is how you can use it.
0: Yeah, that reminds me I I believe the Kindles are now on sale at Target, if Target. I remember. Really? If I remember correctly, I don't know if you can go and play with one there. Uh, but but yeah, they when Barnes & Noble announced that Best Buy was getting the Nook, they turned around like the next day and said, "Oh hey, Target's getting the Kindle."
1: Okay, well that's good for them. I uh, hope they have a robust return policy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, if they can't play with it in store, you want to have someone to have have the opportunity to take it at home and with the option of bringing it back without a hefty restocking fee. If we're talking about a device that's that's close to three hundred bucks or two hundred fifty or how much ever it costs.
0: Yeah, and I just realized I didn't put the other Kindle story up here. That would have been probably the best way to do it, but we can get to that story later because the next story. Being that apparently the Justice Department is looking into Apple's music tactics,
1: yeah, it sounds like this is old Microsoft tricks, actually, um, uh, and uh, Intel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, apparently, Amazon approached some 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 di- music distributors and publishers and say, "Hey, we want to do a deal where you uh, you offer your content, your music, exclusively through us for a couple of days." Uh, And we'll call this the MP3 Daily Deal, and then you can uh, release it to other distributors. iTunes said, no, I don't think you guys should do that. But some listened to Apple and convinced convinced those people not to do the deal with Amazon, which is anti-competitive. Those that did do the deal with Amazon got penalized in the iTunes store. And uh, that is what's over the top. And I think if this is true, that Apple's probably going to have a hefty hand slapped.
0: Yeah, it, the whole MP3 daily deal thing is something I've liked for quite yeah. a while. It, it's a great way to get really cheap, good music.
1: Yeah, I follow them on Twitter. So uh, was it uh, Amazon MP3 on Twitter? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I follow them too, but I I don't usually... I don't pay near as much attention to Twitter like I used to. But yeah, if they're penalizing them, that's going to be a real issue. But Apple's kind of had major control over the music industry to an extent for several years anyway. Because I think it was the same day that this story broke, and I should have probably grabbed it for the show. But apparently Apple now has like 28% market music market share with iTunes. Mm-hmm. So, when you've got that much market share, you pretty much have control over the music industry and they could, and they pretty much have to do whatever you want.
1: Yeah, but didn't they iTunes have this problem? I forget if it was induced by them or by NBC, but NBC wouldn't reneg- renegotiate and their uh other content got pulled out of iTunes for a period of time? Yes. And I'm not sure if that's something that uh, iTunes said, you know, guys, get out of here if you're not going to play ball, or more of NBC saying we want a deal and uh, we're going to pull out of iTunes. I'm not sure how that went down, but i got to say it's probably a little bit of this posturing by Apple that caused that.
0: Yeah, I don't remember exactly all the events that went down, but if I remember correctly, it was like a couple months after that that NBC got together and helped launch Hulu. Yeah. Which is an awesome service that you can't get on an iPad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've, I'm still not a Hulu user. I've used it on a number of occasions, but I just don't care for it most of the time.
1: Oh, I don't have cable, so it's a necessity for me.
0: Yeah, I can torrent stuff and have zero commercials, rather less, instead of even 15-second commercials. So that's generally the way I go. Mm, okay. That and like I mentioned earlier, if I want to watch something more than once, I don't want to have to use as many bandwidth, as much bandwidth as the number of times I want to watch it.
1: Sure, yeah. Sure.
0: But anyway, speaking of um, different platforms and stuff, apparently For advertising. Yeah, apparently Twitter is banning all third-party ad platforms from injecting in-stream advertising.
1: Which is good. I think this is the right choice. So um, let's say we have Google has a Twitter uh, a Twitter app on their Android phones, and it inserts ads in your Twitter stream. And then uh, Apple has their own ad platform. It does this. And then every platform at that point says, well, everyone else is doing, and they jump on the bad wagon. I can see Twitter getting uh, even more noisy than it is now. So I think this is a good move.
0: I I think that not enough people would actually um, engage in advertising to make a big deal like they're making it sound. I mean, I certainly understand where they're coming from. They want the their the Twitter ecosystem to be not so cluttered and have just a bunch of junk floating around. But there's been a number of ad services. For Twitter around for a long time that allow people yeah. to um, monetize their Twitter stream. I've even used them on occasion. Never really made much, or at least not enough to get a check from doing it. But I never, whenever even whenever I saw them, I've never really seen it as much of a problem. I mean, to me this seems more of a the way they put it. for their their terms or whatever when they're talking to developers, they want to be the sole ones doing any Twitter ads. This seems a little bit more anti-competitive to me, especially considering the fact that there have been these third-party ad services for years on Twitter.
1: Yeah. It's it's becoming more of a closed system uh, when it was wide open and uh, there's going to be some some shrinking pains planes, instead of growing pains as they ratchet back uh, just the opposite of Facebook in which it was extremely private and it became more public and people didn't like it. I think you're going to see the same thing like that with Twitter as they put these restrictions on because they said, hey, if we can't make money on Twitter, neither can you. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think... It's going to hurt some businesses, just like when they started to come out with their own clients. Um, I, if you base your your uh, your business on other people's system, you can have terms like this come out.
0: Yeah, well, they mentioned a uh, new service, which I guess they they've been around for quite a while, but I guess they've kind of been up in beta until this this week at TechCrunch Disrupt called Adly that they've been offering people X amount of dollars to advertise certain stuff on their Twitter stream. I know that like um, like a Kim Kardashian or whatever gets offered $20,000 to Mm -hmm. tweet about whatever. And apparently they just raised several million dollars in funding and this essentially kind of kills their business model. Yeah,
1: which is they need to find another way of going about it, but uh, maybe make it more manual than automatic. I I don't know, because this is an API thing. So um, they could say, hey, Kim, you actually have to send this out, but use hashtag Adly for us to count it to make sure you get your money. I mean, they could still do it that way.
0: Yeah, it's going to make things a bit more complicated. I think they're getting to the point where they're, Really starting to irritate people enough, especially the developers, that I think the developers are going to start leaving the Twitter platform in in mass, because yeah. now that they've purchased some of their own clients, they're coming out with their own official Twitter clients on all the different mobile platforms and stuff, as to where that's major competition to something like a Tweet Deck or a Seismic or whatever. I think that the more they lock down the system, people are just going to say, okay, forget this, we're going to go somewhere else. And I think we're going to start to see new, maybe new similar services popping up in the near future.
1: Yeah, and also it depends on what they considered an ad. I have to look at the terms of service to see if I understand that. Because if I say, hey, read my blog post, is that considered an ad?
0: That's one of the things that I'm worried about, too. I, I, That didn't really come through clear to me as to if something like that would be an ad, or what exactly an ad is deemed to be. Because, like, whenever I post something on the blog, or whenever we have a show go up, or whatever, I'm always posting about it, and saying to check it out, or whatever. And I don't want to be banned from Twitter just because I promote my own stuff.
1: Yeah. so We'll have to see how they crack down on this. Um, because if you're not using the website, you are using the API. Mm -hmm. So everyone who says, well, I don't use the API, I'm not a developer, if you're using any kind of client on your phone, if you're not using SMS or the website, you're using API. So everyone keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to kind of see how this evolves. I know that it scares me a lot. But anyway, speaking of um, different... Platforms for doing what you want to do, mm-hmm. apparently the Amazon Kindle is not very good for college textbooks,
1: yeah, I went to school and flunked out,
0: <laughs> yeah, apparently this is a like a I guess they did a trial run in several different schools, and it seems they're saying that this is the first time they've done it, but I thought like back in the fall, we had a similar story where they tried it for a quarter or semester or whatever, and said, no, it's not going to work the heck with it. But apparently this comes out of the um, University of Virginia or whatever, where they gave it to 80% of the MBA students who apparently wanted to participate in the this trial program. They gave them all Kindle DXs, which is the $489 big Kindle. Yeah. And Kindle Jumbo. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and apparently, they said the students came back and said, nope, for classroom stuff, we don't want it. 90% of them said, hey, we like this for pleasure reading, but for in terms of in-classroom stuff, it it just doesn't allow you to do enough because you can't scribble notes and margins, you can't easily highlight passages, you can't really appreciate full-color charts and graphics and... From my own personal use of my Kindle too, there are a lot of things like programming books that yes, you can get them on Kindle, but you do not want to get them on the Kindle.
1: Is it because it's so nonlinear when you're using it as reference?
0: Partially, but at the same time, um, a lot of the code a lot of the code won't be formatted correctly or. Oh, yeah maybe code will be done as a graphic image and you can't zoom in on an image. Right. Now, with the new Kindle update, I know at least in the PDF reader, you, there's some zooming capabilities, which I have yet to try out. I've had my Kindle's wireless turned on for the past week and a half, waiting to get the update, but I still haven't got it yet. So if maybe if it's in a PDF format, it might be a little bit better with the new update. But as it stands right now, um, whenever I try and read one of my coding books on there it'll have a number of graphics on it whether it's a graphic of the code or the result of the code or whatever and it's just so scrunched that you can't really read it most of the time so I, I can certainly understand why they're why it apparently flunked I guess now they're looking to give the iPad a try but at the same time you still can't really scribble notes on the margins of an iPad. Uh,
1: not without pen input, but uh, they also have uh It is expandable. And have you seen those digital notepads where you have a pen and it looks like a notepad? You write in it, and there's a digitizer that actually transferred it to a PC. Mm-hmm. That might be something that would
0: work for an iPad. Yeah, that would be that would be one option. I don't know. This is. One of those things where I've always kind of wanted a tablet PC, in the so that I could something with uh, stylus input and stuff, so that I could do stuff like this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That that's one of the few times where on a tablet PC, I want like a full blown Windows. Right,
1: but yeah, and yeah, it's been nice if you can copy and paste. Like a snippet from, let's say, a programming book, and then paste that into Eclipse and actually compile it and run it and see if it's you know, if it's a sample, for instance. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something that you could do in an iPad if it allowed you to install a compiler, which I don't think it does. Um, but maybe so. That's a reason for another reason for a Windows-based uh, tablet.
0: Yeah, that I don't know. Generally speaking, I'm against the whole. Windows-based tablet, just because I don't think a full OS needs to be on a tablet. I think it needs to be a special OS for based entirely for tablets, for a tablet experience and stuff, but that would be... For something like this, that would probably be the one time where I would say, okay, maybe I would be willing to have that as an OS on a tablet. Yeah.
1: But well... The the thing about Windows is people don't like dealing with Windows. They want to deal with applications.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so um, Windows Media Center is an excellent example of how Microsoft can combat that by having a skin on their OS that makes it more friendly for the medium. So um, mm-hmm. I wonder if they're doing something like that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of curious to know what's going on now that they've canceled the whole Courier project.
1: Well, I know a couple of people left Microsoft because of that.
0: Yeah, Jay Allard and uh what's the other one? Was it Robbie Bach that left? I forget his name. But <laughs> Jay Allard is the one that is is the big one. Yeah. With with him leaving I think that's or I think he's actually retiring, I think. But I think that's gonna be the one that hurts Microsoft the most because he was the Xbox and the Zune and pretty much everything on the entertainment side of things is kinda his doing.
1: Aka all the cool stuff Microsoft has been doing.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much everything outside of Windows Seven that's actually cool. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I don't think like Visual Studio and stuff is cool. That's just not the same kind of cool. Right. But not not yeah. the
1: same head scratching. That's Microsoft kind of cool. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's gonna be. I mean, I'm interested to see who's gonna take over in his place. That that's definitely gonna be. Something to watch,
1: yeah I'm more interested to see what he does next, because um, he can probably write his own ticket at this point,
0: yeah that that's for sure he could probably go to anybody and just walk into a job even if there's not a job waiting for him,
1: yeah, he should go to Google because <laughs> mm. they've had u i issues always they've they've had, i mean they don't make the prettiest stuff google it's it's very effective and it works, but it's not the prettiest.
0: I would have agreed with you until they released Pac-Man last week. (laughs) Pac-Man was awesome.
1: Yeah, that was cool. Especially Um, Then maybe uh, HP. HP would would be awesome, because they're a Microsoft partner, and they also have their new platform, their new tablet. Uh, And if it was truly because of the Courier program, he could do some real innovation around that over at HP.
0: Yeah, I think HP would be one of a number of good choices. I think that would probably be one of the better choices. Yeah. But speaking of Google, they've finally revealed what their AdSense revenue share is, something that they've never revealed for as long as it's been around, and it's been around since 2003.
1: Yeah, I guess it makes sense for them not to reveal it for competitive advantage. Uh, but now they're the dominant player, and it just makes sense. Um, so I'm glad that they released it, and it's good to see that they keep less than half of their revenue. They, they, so they're pretty generous
0: with it. Yeah, they only they keep less than a third of it. Yeah, they apparently they pay out sixty eight percent of the revenue that they collect from advertisers, which I was kind of surprised that they keep that just that small of chunk of it. I figured they would have taken out at least fifty percent.
1: Yeah, well, people were thinking that because it was not revealed, and you're always going to think the worst. Especially when you get your check and you're like, "That's all I got," <laughs> you gotta realize, yeah, that's they got even
0: less. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and that's just for the AdSense for content. As far as the Ad Ten- AdSense for search, which is when website owners put their own little Google search box on their website, apparently that is a uh, has a 51% revenue share. So that's more in line with what I was thinking.
1: Yeah, and that makes more sense because you're going to get more content or more hits that way um than the AdSense model, um the revenue one. So um to me I I think that that seems fair. That still seems fair.
0: Yeah, it's definitely that seems to be a pretty good deal to me. I I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if we're going to see other ad publishers come out and say, "Hey, this is our revenue share." Maybe we'll give um, content producers even more revenue just for the sake of competing with AdSense.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I hope I hope a lot of companies release their numbers and try to compete against this, and we could see a second spike in uh, <laughs> in advert in the advertising space uh, on all the search platforms.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because it's like one of the first things I always look at when a new mobile platform comes out, whether it's like the iPhone, or Android, or Windows Phone 7, or whatever, is, as a developer, I always look at what the revenue share is. And ever since Apple set that bar of the 70-30 revenue share, mm-hmm. that's where everybody else is followed. So I'm kind of curious to right. see if everybody else falls in line with this, Or if they're going to try and do better than this.
1: I say do better because everyone else is second place or less. So they better do better than this.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. I'm kind of curious to see if anything actually comes of it. But anyway, let's get on to one of my favorite topics. Three strikes. Piracy. Yeah. Copyright stuff. Because apparently a large ISP, Ericom, um, in Ireland has decided to enact their own three-strikes rule for copyright violators. Right.
1: And the land of the three wishes, it it, so, it surely fits.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is another one of those stupid ideas that's probably going to chase away more customers than it actually helps them. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think... Um, What they're doing is they're just using... If you're doing uh, like BitTorrent, uh, it's more on the service and less on the content, I think, is the biggest part of
0: this one. Yeah, it seems to be... It's like, uh, we don't care what the content is. If you're using BitTorrent, we just assume you're downloading illegal content. Yeah. So then we're going to send you a warning or... Well, I think it's first they actually call you... Then you get, like, disconnected for a week. Then if you do it again, you get disconnected for a year.
1: Yeah, they call you, but is there is there any kind of form of protest, which I think is a huge problem. If You can't say, okay, I did what, when? No, prove it. I disagree. Uh, or is it more like, hey, this is a notification, this is your warning. Um, and with Ireland, I'm guessing there's probably not a whole lot of choices when it comes to ISPs.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what the ISP situation is like there, but it seems to me like this is more of a notification rather than uh, were you downloading this on this particular day at this time and whatever. Uh, it seems like there's no real appeals process that I can tell. This is pretty much just kind of a, oh, you're using that service? This is your first warning. You're still yeah. using that service? You're done for a week. Kind of a thing. it yeah. That that's the way it seems to me.
1: Unfortunately, the three strikes law is going to be something that's going to be a de facto universal standard as more and more countries and ISPs uh, adopt it. Because people are going to say, well, these people do it, and this country does it, and this ISPs are supporting us. And everyone is backing us around the globe, and it just builds a case to get that one more to add to the list. And then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. And then it's going to be like, hey, all these countries, all these ISPs are behind it, but these handful are not. And it's going to be just like Superman 3, (laughs) in which they see one outlier and they try to destroy him.
0: Yeah, it, it seems like there's getting to be less and less steam for the whole Three Strikes movement, especially with all the uproar there was. There's been over ACTA and... And in all these different countries, are saying, oh, hey, we're enacting a three-strikes law like France, when, yeah, they enacted it, but then piracy went up. So it's like, okay, that was kind of pointless. So, I don't know, I'm kind of curious to see if this sparks any other ISPs in Ireland or anywhere in that area to jump on board with some kind of a three-strikes rule. Mm-hmm. But speaking of piracy, Sony believes that the PSP's biggest problem is piracy.
1: Yeah. Um, The problem with Sony is that from day one, they thought their biggest problem was piracy. And so it gets into the model of the teenager when the parent says, don't you ever do that, don't you do that, don't ever do that. And the, the kid wasn't even thinking about it, but the parent is so cracking down it's causing a rebellion so back when the psp launched there was a burgeoning homebrew community no piracy not not yet anyway and then sony kept changing their firmware locking these people out and people were even developing their own games at that point but sony kept fighting them which i believe uh, enrage their community and their user base, and which piracy became more prevalent because of this.
0: Yeah, I've, I've had uh, PSP systems since launch, and actually I actually now have two PSP systems it has been that way for several years now. But I would say that there is a good bit of piracy that's an issue on the PSP, not so much with the PSP Go, because that's all more of a digital download thing, and it doesn't have...
1: Yeah, even Sony games don't work on the PSP Go.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the whole piracy thing is a symptom to the real problem when it comes to the PSP. There's two major problems that it's causing the piracy. One is that the games generally suck, so nobody wants to actually pay for them, which mm. I'm in that camp on a number of occasions, especially when it comes to, like, the... Uh, NBA live games, it seems like for several years there, it's like the first year it was a great game, second year and anything after that, it it felt like nothing really was changing. They screwed with some of the gameplay mechanics as to where um, things weren't as smooth as they may have been before or whatever, but it was essentially skinning a different menu onto the game just so you can, and changing the roster so you can sell a different version of it every year. And it was at that point when I started saying, Okay, screw this, if they're if that's all they're gonna do to change it every year, I'm just gonna download it every year. Mm-hmm. And and that's the way I've handled that. The second issue and and of course that's kinda the same issue with a number of games and there's just a lot of the PSP game there's some PSP games that are great, like God of War and stuff, but and I'm really looking forward to the new God of War Ghost of Sparta that's coming, but there's Not very many really good, solid games for it. But the real, but I think the biggest issue is, especially this being the case with the original PSP, because the UMD drive, the PSP Go doesn't have this problem. It has Mm -hmm. its own list of problems, which is why it's been a complete and utter failure. But the big issue with the original PSP is the UMDs constantly break. Even if you're um, taking real good care of them, the disc is encased in a piece of plastic, well, on the on the plastic, which you can kind of see in this image here, is that there's like a clear coating of plastic, so you can see the actual game disc in there. Mm-hmm. Well, that clear coating of plastic has a tendency of breaking at where it meets the white part of the UMD, which is like the rest of the casing for it, and when it does that, it keeps the disc in it from spinning properly because it it won't let the disc stay balanced. It might hit the disc in some way or whatever. So the disc doesn't stay in there the way it should and it causes the games not to play. That's where essentially you buy a game two or three weeks later, the UMD breaks or starts to break around the um, clear plastic edge and the game no longer works. And, and that's been a real big issue for a long time. It's just kind of been in kind of been like the elephant in the room that not a whole lot of people want to discuss. And I think that's probably the single biggest problem for piracy. Cause I, after a while I just got tired of buying my games over and over again.
1: Yeah. I think another thing that's not really calculated is that the growth of console games it's uh, with the price war between the Xbox 360 and even the old, the, the PS3 and the Wii. Um, I think that the console games being so cheap, relatively speaking, um, that people aren't using a PSP as much. So they're not buying the games, and when they do want a game on the go, go, uh, they rely on their smartphones, and so they're playing an iPhone game or some other game, and that's where they're spending their money. And I think that's what's causing the problems that they're they're not growing and they're not compelling and I'm not going to say the PSP is old but it's starting to show its age relative to the other choices that are out
0: there yeah the value proposition for the PSP has really kind of fallen off the cliff I mean, back when it was just the PSP and the Nintendo DS I think the PSP um, totally destroyed it in pretty much every way from graphics to being able to watch videos play music you name it but as soon as Apple got into it with the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, it pretty much left the PSP in the dust because with something like that, you have an app store that you can download hundreds of thousands of apps. With the PSP, they don't have anything like that. I I think now they have, or to some extent, they have their what they're calling their PSP minis, which are kind of like games that you'd have mm-hmm. on the iPhone or whatever. Right. But there's it's still nothing real prevalent and then, and they're not doing anything to really improve the features of the PSP. I mean for the first couple of years of the PSP they were doing a good job of it. They brought in a web browser, they brought in Skype, they put the um, Sony's location free player service which is essentially a sling box on it and which is why I went and got a location free player because it was it seemed to be pretty a pretty solid thing. And but after that they just stopped doing anything special with it. I mean eventually they got the PlayStation Store, but mm-hmm. there's no compelling content on there at all unless you have like the PSP Go or something when you're actually downloading games. But otherwise, and occasionally like game demos and wallpaper packs and whatever, there's no compelling content on there. And every time they release a firmware update, it's 99% of the time it's for security issues. Yep. Which means they're yep. just trying to fight the homebrew community. And otherwise, they may fix a bug here and there, or they may add some real tiny, tiny feature to some obscure file format that nobody's ever going to notice anyway. So it's... They've pretty much gotten to the point where they're neglecting the PSP and that's what's causing the real problems.
1: Yeah, and um, I think the only way they can revive themselves is if they come up with another PSP with a, uh, with a Kindle-type internet model in which you buy a device and you have unlimited internet and always can connect to your friends to play your games. Uh, that would be something that would compel uh, I know if I was a parent, I would rather have them have a PSP than an iPhone um, with service um, to prevent and have them be able to play online with their friends without having to worry about an extra bill. Um, and I th- to that point, I think their innovation has been to fight piracy. They have had no innovation for the good of their users.
0: Yeah, it, it's, their innovation has died out a long time ago. It's, and I don't know, I'm I'm thinking that hopefully at E3 here in, what is it, two weeks or whatever, we'll see the PSP2 that everybody's kind of been wanting for a couple of years. I think we might finally see that, and either that or I think that'll be at like the Tokyo Game Show, which is like a month or two later, one of the two. But I don't think, I think that if that one doesn't hit the ball out of the park, After the horrible failure of the PSP Go, I think we may see the PSP pretty much be dead at that point.
1: Yeah, I generally have a loathing for Sony products, so I wouldn't cry a tear for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I used to like Sony stuff a lot, but the more time goes by, the more they really start to irritate me, especially when they take away my Linux. But, anyway, next story because we're actually running rather low on time here. I didn't realize we'd... We're almost at an hour already. Man. Yikes. We still have all the tips of the week and everything. We've got two stories, so let's go here. We've got RapidShare is apparently not guilty for copyright infringement.
1: Yeah, as we rapidly go through the story, it seems that uh, RapidShare is just a file hoster, and the content that's posted on their site is a responsibility of their users and not them as a, as, you know the safe harbor laws go. Which is good, because um, once again, Perfect 10 is the one who's bringing this accusation, and if you remember a few years ago, Perfect 10 sued Google for showing thumbnails of their models uh, when you do an image search. Um, so, Perfect 10 is is staunchly trying to protect their content, and uh, they lost this time. It didn't work in their favor.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if more um like torrent sites and stuff try to pick up the same defense that Rapidshare has in that they're not responsible responsible for policing what their users are distributing. Yeah. Apparently they they've won this now here at the at a district court in California and apparently they've won a similar case in Germany in the past month. So now that there is getting to be some more precedence out there, I'm kind of curious to see how this is going to affect other um, less legitimate internet sites.
1: Well, yeah, I think that's the big part of it is that they don't have the reputation, at least not in the news and the mainstream media, of being, pirate, being a pirate site. Uh, but uh, a lot of times when I do get files that aren't on BitTorrent, they are on RapidShare. And I'm not going to say what kind of files they are, but uh, so the common community, I mean, I I don't use RapidShare for anything other than to get files from other people. Uh, And I just think not being prejudiced by by the mainstream media, I think the judge was able to make the correct judgment in this case.
0: Yeah, I've never been a big fan of RapidShare. I've used it a couple of times, but it always seems to be a real pain to try and download something if unless you actually pay for an account. But apparently what RapidShare is trying to do is that when people upload this illegal stuff, they're saying, hey, yeah, you can get it here for free, and but it's not a legal copy, but you can go over to a site like Amazon and buy it, and they're essentially trying to turn these people into paying customers. Yeah, I hope that's an affiliate link. <laughs> I yeah, I would assume it. that they would be using affiliate links, but I'm not positive of that, but it's good to see that, there, that there's actually one site like this that doesn't seem to be getting sued into oblivion.
1: Yeah, uh, and also, but I think saying, hey, you can get it legally here is also assuming that they're scanning the file and know that it's copyright, which means that they could be sued again for not taking down copyrighted material. But anyway, um, I, I think this is good. This is the right judgment. Um, it's it's always good to see that some judges know
0: what they're doing. Yeah, that's actually a shock. Because usually not a day goes by when I wonder, gee, how did this idiot get to sit behind the bench? But, anyway, speaking of courts and such, apparently after a German injunction took out the Pirate Bay's ISP, they are now back in full operation under the Pirate Party. Yeah,
1: that sounds like a perfect marriage. (laughs) Um, Pirate Party and Pirate Bay. Yeah, so they're they're putting their legislative muscle where their mouth is.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see just how the movie studios and stuff react to this, because in the past, every time that the Pirate Bay's been taken down or they've had their ISP um, or their ISP's been served an injunction or whatever, usually within 24 hours they're back up like they were in this case because they've got some great big master backup plan that as soon as one site or one um, distribution method gets taken down, they're off to somebody else. But I'm kind of curious to see how the movie studios are going to react, because whenever in the past the Pirate Bay has switched hosts, as soon as they're back online, the movie studios are already sending legal agreements to their new ISP, saying take them down and whatever. So now that it's the Pirate Party that's representing them, and the Pirate Party, this being the Pirate Party of uh, Sweden or whatever, uh, now that they have multiple seats in the um, European Union Parliament, I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to, if they're going to continue to pursue the Pirate Bay. I'm sure they will, but I'm kind of curious if they're going to use the same tactics they always have.
1: Yeah, a lot of things unknown, but the one thing that's guaranteed is that this is going to provide another few months of entertainment. Um, the, the, this is This is very tricky and And it's kind of scary that the party would take this line, generally speaking, but it's totally appropriate. I wonder who approached who to make this deal happen. But seeking refuge with a political organization, uh, I don't think it's going to hurt the Pirate Bay, but it may hurt the legitimacy of the the party if, by any chance, they lose this fight.
0: Yeah, this is definitely going to be interesting to see where it goes. And I'm not sure who's running the Pirate Bay now. Because I know all the guys that used to run it, like Peter Sunday and stuff, and Godfried and everything, are all off doing new projects now, but whoever it is, is apparently trying to keep the entertaining style of the Pirate Bay alive, with a blog post from Dr. Lolcat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I don't think it's as funny as the stuff when the old Pirate Bay guys were running it, but it's still inter- entertaining to read nonetheless
1: yeah but it's also an f u which is kind of uh <laughs> which is kind of inducing which is not something you want to do in this case which could cause
0: problems but well, the one thing that had me confused was that in this doctor wallcat post they mentioned it being the RIAA that was after him when i believe in this case it was the mpaa that was after him mm-hmm. they got yeah, him, from they got movies. the injunction.
1: Yeah, movies instead of, uh, instead of music. And the, some of the movies were Bounty Hunter, Alice in Wonderland, and Our Family Wedding, uh, or just a few. But it, once again, they don't host any of these files. They host a link to the torrent. So Sue, the originator of the files, and this will all be over. And I don't understand why they keep... It, it's a It's a battle of endurance. We'll see who lasts longer. Pirate Bay or or, uh, the MPAA.
0: Yeah, it's definitely some interesting times in the whole peer-to-peer community because just last week, ISO Hunt got an injunction placed against them as well as to where it looks like they're going to have to shut down their site in the U.S. and it'd still be open to everybody else in the world, but it looks like it could be going away in the U.S. unless they decided to come up with some kind of a filtering thing or Whatever, but I don't know, I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out. I'm investigating some various proxy servers and stuff, so that way I can still get access to it no matter what, despite the fact that I almost never use ISO hunt But kind of have to have something to replace Mini Nova, since that's all whitelisted stuff now. Yeah,
1: it's practically dead.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm surprised it's even still around, to be honest. Anyway, that's all the stories, and we are running rather late on the show, but that's okay. Um, Now time for the tips of the week. Some of my favorite tips, or at least favorite tips that i found in the past week, week and a half or so. One being, if you want to install Ubuntu on a Windows netbook, apparently there's a way to do it where you don't have to repartition your hard drive just to try it out. So if you're looking to try out the new Ubuntu, especially on like the netbook version, like I'm going to, I actually I need to wipe out Windows 7 and install it anyway because the Windows 7 I have on my netbook is an RC, is the RC and it's I think it's the RC is expired, hasn't it?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. I think it expired several months ago. So I I need to wipe it and put Ubuntu on, or Kubuntu, I should say, on anyway. But for those that don't want to make quite that kind of commitment, there's a nice little guide here on how to install Ubuntu on a Windows netbook, kind of like a regular app, so that way you can try it. If you don't like it, just install it off of Windows. It should be an interesting thing to try out. If, If you do try it out, let me know how it works for you second tip of the week is how to install a solid state drive in your macbook Uh, apparently guys over at lifehacker decided to throw a solid state drive in their macbook pro and they documented the whole process so if you have a macbook pro and are looking to install a solid state drive this would probably be the guide for you and i would highly recommend them they're extremely fast and from what i've been told on laptops, I haven't gotten, gotten around to replacing the drives in my laptops, but apparently they'll like add 10% to your battery life, which is nice, too. And uh, let's see, three more here. First being 21 rules of social media engagement, uh, especially for those people that are like running a business and trying to do social media stuff. Everything from discovering relevant communities of interest and participating on to um, becoming a real participant in the community, creating um, regular content, all kinds of different stuff, 21 different tips. So make sure to check that out if you're into the whole social media engagement stuff at all. Yeah,
1: I have one thing to add to that. There should be a 22nd rule, and that rule should be there are no rules. I'm no, just saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of one of the... That's kind of like the underlying rule of social, social media. There are no rules except spam is bad.
1: But if you want to use it that way, you can. It's yeah. just like, it, to be effective, it, it, that might hurt you. But I digress.
0: Yeah. But speaking of not wanting to chase people away, apparently if you're worried about chasing your blog readers away, um, the next web has some good tips for, like, for helping them, especially if, they, if you have an audience that wants to comment and stuff, using, like, a single setup process, single step um, process for logging in, using existing web services to log in, like Facebook Connect or Twitter's OAuth service, or Gravatar, or anything like that, making sure that you actually get rid of spam, or use an existing web service for your comments. This is what we do on Global Geek News, is I use a system called Echo. By, it's created by JSKit, and it seems to do a tremendous job of taking related conversation about a particular post from all over the Internet and bringing it back to the actual post page. So if there's a bunch of people talking about a particular post on Twitter, it'll go grab those tweets and put them into the comments section of the page so that there's still one place where you can find all of the discussion about a particular post. So, And they give examples of a couple of other similar services like Discuss and Intense Debate. So if you have a blog and you're looking to kind of foster community, have more participation from your audience, this would be a post to check out. And finally, what I think might be the most important of all the tips is how to check if your Gmail account has been hacked. Um, Basically, this is nothing um, horribly new. If you've been paying attention to, I think it was was last year that Gmail announced that you can see when your Gmail account was accessed, how it was accessed, the IP addresses it was accessed from and stuff. Well, apparently, um, this site has which called uh, Fried Beef Tech has done a little step-by-step process of how to check where all of your accesses are coming from to see and how to um, figure out Okay, is this IP address me? Is it somebody else? Um, Basically anything to be able to figure out, okay, could my Gmail have been possibly hacked? Okay, if it is hacked, what do I do? How do I change my password, my secret question, and all that stuff. So if you're worried that your Gmail account might be hacked, this would be the step-by-step process for you. That, and that is all of our tips of the week. If you have any tips or any stories that you'd like to suggest for future shows, feel free to stick them in the comments or shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. If you have any comments or suggestions for the show or, the, or any blog posts or whatever, that would be the email address to send them to as well. You can, of course, always find us on Twitter. I am at pcnerd37 on Twitter. And I am also at Global Geek News on Twitter. And Wesley is at Wesley83 on Twitter. And those are probably the best ways to get a hold of us, even though I don't pay as much attention to Twitter as I used to. I'm still on it all the time. But that would be the best way to get a hold of us. If you enjoy the show, feel free to use one of the donation links, whether it's the $5 a month subscription or the um, donation link at the top of the page of globalgeeknews.com, which is, of course, where you can find all of the show notes. So you can donate a an amount of your choosing. And, of course, anything over $100 will get you a free Global Geek News t-shirt off of the store, which you can also find link to at globalgeeknews.com up at the top. And I believe that's pretty much everything for this week, unless you, unless you can think of anything.
1: No, no. Uh, things are going great, and I hope everyone has a great Memorial Day weekend.
0: Yes, everybody have a great, safe Memorial Day weekend. I didn't realize it was Memorial Day weekend until early this morning. So everybody have a good weekend, and as far as I know, we will be back next week. We'll see you guys later.